Hello and welcome to another episode of the EMG podcast. I'm your host, Dan Scott, COO of the European Medical Group, and this week I'm joined by our special guest, Eric Buyu, who is Chief of Staff Global Medical Affairs at Ipsen. How are you today, Eric? Very well. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me today. Eric, you have a vast amount of experience across a number of different positions in the pharma industry, so we're really pleased to have this opportunity to hear your views on some of the big topics in the sector, including leadership and the growth of the medical affairs department. Perhaps you could start by telling us about your early life and education, along with the pathway that led you to joining the pharma industry in, I believe, 1997. Yeah, I'm not sure how far you want me to go back into my education, uh, but I'm a biologist by training. I studied in the south of France and got my master's in uh, microbiology, uh, cell biology, and um, wasn't very keen on going and pursue a doctorate at the time. I want to have uh, a qualification and that enabled me to be closer to work and a certain experience in life. Uh, but I didn't want to finish just with my master, so I went for another another piece of uh, higher education in France, uh, which is called the DESS. And uh, in a short uh, manner, it enabled me to have a more hands-on experience onto biotoxicology. And actually, that uh, that um, uh, degree, uh, post degree, uh, allowed me to go into many fields. It was uh, it enabled me to go into uh, toxicology research. It enabled me to do um, uh, pharmaceutical um, development and research. It even enabled me actually to do uh, some environment work and also some work with uh, the scientific police. I was actually uh, approached by the scientific police at the time for uh, me to finalize my year and go into a placement. But that's not really what uh, I was looking for. And, uh, and before going to the pharma industry, I, uh, I started with the environment uh, element. I was very keen into making a difference. And the difference was for me important when it comes to pollution, and in particular pollution in the, in the sea where I grew up, in the, in the south of France. And so um, I was investigating uh, the effect of uh, heavy metal, on, uh, on, on the fishes and the biosystem that we had in, uh, in the environment. And that was very good up to a point that uh, I realized, well, we don't have necessarily all the funding to carry on all the research I wanted. And uh, I felt mm, maybe time for me to find a proper job. So uh, I, uh, I uh, was looking for an opportunity and always keen to stay in the south of France. I started then my, I would say, proper career in the pharma industry into the veterinary uh, environment. So got a job um, building actually a, a new department, an industrial development department. I was pretty young at the time and uh, it was uh, quite challenging for me to be in charge of building a department in the same level, uh, trying to find a solution at the industrial level or industrial scale for uh, uh, repeating what our research colleagues had done. So I was working for a uh, or against uh, a disease uh, equivalent to uh, malaria in uh, in dogs, or so treating Babesia canis, and uh, that uh, challenge uh, was given to me to try to reproduce what the lab was able to do. So getting about sixty to eighty percent zero conversion, so meaning getting a way to treat efficiently and protect the dogs against the indication of the disease uh, in 60 to 80 percent of the time. Now the, uh, the challenge which I took um, enabled me to actually develop like two batches and got 100 uh, percent zero conversion. I 
Bicure and everybody was very much excited, especially my boss, as he was building this uh, <laughs> entity. And um, so I, was, I had like a promising career in that field, clearly. Uh, the only observation I had was, if you look around, at one side you had the sea, fantastic. The other side you had the mountains, even better. So you could think, you know, summer and winter, you can really uh, enjoy yourself. Uh, the only trouble is that uh, I didn't see myself staying in a lab with actually no windows for the rest of my life because I was very much like the environment uh, or the work I would be, uh, I would be dealing with. Um, so what I decided to do is uh, mm, maybe uh, just explore all the avenues. So the alumni from uh, that last year where I was doing biotoxicology um, reached out to me and said, wow, I've got a fantastic job in clinical research. Okay, why don't you join me? clinical research, all right, okay. Of course, I knew principles of clinical research, but she told me more about what she was doing. And she was working on various protocols, finding, you know, developing studies with new drugs that were still under investigation and finding uh, um, uh, solutions for patients. Okay, that was resonating to me and said, okay, well, why not? Again, young, no attachments. Um, I had a full-term job uh, in one industry I was offered a five months placement in another one in Paris okay Paris is a beautiful city but um, uh, it was far from the sea whatever okay let's try and uh, that's why I started I said okay well let's let's do it five months um, of placement um, I did my job well well actually was actually recognized for bringing some value into the the study we were uh, finishing with uh, with a team and so they uh, they sent me in the south of france as a as a six months um another i would say within uh, the placement six months uh, time where i could uh, reach out to the southeast of all the the physicians who were working with and so i was um i was uh, very thrilled i had again another job that took me actually back to the south of france or sunshine Hey, I couldn't uh, dream for better. Um, and I did that for altogether for nearly two years. Went back to Paris and realized, hmm, well, is that something that will thrill me to stay all the time in this environment when at the time, and that was late in the 90s, you were mentioning the 1997, mm -hmm. uh, the industry in the UK was booming, especially the biotech industry. So we had uh, about 450 new companies, ventures that were exploring uh, various avenues. And um, so that was one thing that was thrilling me. The other one was about the innovation. At the time, the European uh, Medicine Agency had uh, started Canary Wharf at the time. And uh, very much I could see this as a center place for innovation and for uh, and a, good, a good pathway for me in, in my career. So I uh, decided to uh, explore. It wasn't easy because my English wasn't... Uh, perfect. It's not perfect now, but it was even worse at the time. And uh, and certainly finding a position from Paris to work in the UK was a bit of a, a challenge, especially with my poor English. Nevertheless, I was very persistent and resilient and uh, managed to find, uh, yet again, another placement. I was actually for six months working in London for a biotech company uh, next to UCL. And um, that's how I started my, my life in the UK. So I thought, okay, if I can carry on, it would be good to do for two to three years uh, experience, and then I can come rich with that experience and go back to France or mainland Europe. And after three years, I thought, mm, maybe another year. 
and the following year, okay, maybe another year. Um, ten years down the line, I was still in the UK, very much enjoying my work, my social life, uh, all the network I had, and I thought maybe this is actually where I want to stay and settle. And um, you know, that's now uh, 22 years, and uh, still happy to be here. Fascinating. Thank you for sharing that story. Uh, our listeners won't be able to see, but it doesn't look possible that at the age that you look, you managed to cram that all in. Um, and your English, I have to say, is uh, very, very good. Certainly better than my French. <laughs> Thank you. So after that time in, in research, in project management roles, what, what drew you to the position of chief of staff at Ibsen? Yeah, I didn't mention. So the various roles I had in the industry, well, as I started in clinical research, uh, going to clinical uh, project management led me to then project management overall. So uh, looking at all the pieces of uh, drug development and then project leadership. Uh, and, and I must say I was very rewarding and, and I enjoyed that. Uh, as you know, in the industry you have many failures. And so it wasn't necessarily a sad thing for me as I drove some development, it went to a failure. But it was good in a sense that we could identify with all the right means put together into development to find uh, uh, a de or a define a decision whether actually the candidate or the product was good to be carried on into further development or not and stop. So I think that was a, that was a, a good thing to do. Uh, and so bouncing on this and, and getting into other products where I was actually very successful into bringing uh, free uh, products into uh, the market uh, where we went through all the different hurdles mm -hmm. in terms of like quality, in terms of the, the safety, and the uh, and uh, and the efficiency demonstrated, making sure we have an asset that was good for for patients. And so the the drugs that were taken to the markets that was in the U.S. so it was quite challenging, uh, but also in Europe and in uh, in the rest of the world uh, was something that took a, a big a big pride. And it was back into the years 2014 to 2016. And in particular, I would say there was one product for one uh, indication that was in cerebral palsy for, 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 for pediatric patients or for, for children. And when you know the, um, the, the condition, when you see what the patients are suffering, when you see that actually the, 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 the caregivers, the parents, are also enduring for making sure that the life of the kids is improved and the fact that you don't find a solution or a cure, but actually you provide a certain level of a degree of help and, and improvement in the, the quality of life is dramatic. And that is actually the drive I have and still have, regardless what you do in the pharma industry, because you contribute to that, whatever, again, you do. And so after having done that, um, as I said, up to 2016, uh, I've been approached by uh, the new head of global medical affairs and, and chief medical officer uh, who had just been uh, nominated and was looking for a chief of staff. And uh, I think after uh, a very short conversation, um, he, he proposed me to have the job and, and asked me whether I wanted to be his chief of staff with one single mission form GMA, form Global Medical Affairs, because that the function didn't exist at the time as a one entity. Uh, we had medical affairs activities, of course, going into the, into the company, but not grouped under one single hat and not tr also trying to coordinate better in delivering better what uh, uh, Global Medical Affairs can do. And so now you find yourself in a, in a leadership position 
What do you think the, the main responsibilities are of leaders in the pharma industry? I think you can you can look into various angles. Um, leaders in the farm industry, clearly like every leader, should have like a, a vision and, and certainly a sense of a mission. I think I mentioned the passion we should all have about the patients. And so having a way to convey what must be done in the most uh, ethical way, compliant way, with a sense of urgency to produce uh, solutions uh, that can help patients is, is dramatic. So I think what is uh, massively important is that for leaders they can keep that in mind, have uh, a way to communicate well, convey this message and, um, and, and bring a level of uh, enthusiasm as well. And so I'm interested, is there any single piece of advice that you might give a younger version of yourself setting out on this career path? I think if uh, if I'm honest with you, you know, I've, I've got, uh, I'm not sure I had like, uh, in some respect, I had an atypical uh, journey uh, with regards to my education, with regards to the various roles I had, although it's not uncommon if you do clinical research that you go into project management mm -hmm. and project uh, leadership roles. Uh, but I think what needs to be clear is that for whoever is engaged and has a, an ambition to go into leadership roles in, in the farm industry. It's about making sure that you are truthful to yourself. Uh, keep the passion. Clearly, you can't do this job if you don't feel it's important that you contribute to the improvement of the quality of life of patients again. Uh, and um, and be again, be honest with yourself. Is that really what you want to do? Because you can come at the beginning of your career and you have like, wow, the great idea that I want to become a leader into clinical research, in, 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 uh, in pharma development, in whatever field is, and you realize uh, after uh, a number of years that actually you're not meant to do that because actually you, you don't have the drive. So it's really keep the passion at your heart. Absolutely. I think being authentic is a, is a fundamental part of that. So if you're being true to yourself and you're, you're showing your passion as well, that, that really does help people believing you. Yeah, you need to inspire uh, the people around you. Again, a leader is there to convey the message, to have a vision, uh, to live by your words as well. So being very truth, uh, truthful to yourself, but also mm -hmm. to the others and, uh, and, and convey that passion. So in your current position at Ipsin, you're tasked with driving transformation to the company's global medical affairs. Can you tell us a bit more about the aims of this transformation and any initiatives that you're that are currently taking place in this area? Right, as I said, I think we, we started not with transformation, but with formation, uh -huh. um, because we had uh, that new pillar that wasn't established in the past of uh, medical affairs. Medical affairs is at a cornerstone between core research and development activities and the commercial activity. So our goal is very much to make sure that we generate data, we disseminate data, we have also all the tools to educate uh, well, the internal colleagues is one thing, but certainly to, in, to educate the, the physicians, making sure that they are aware about all the elements of the, the disease state, the various options, treatment options, and so that we can 
uh, at best provide them all the clues and the tools for them to make the right decision when it's about uh, treating the, their patients. So that element is, is, is massively important because you need to be there to convey in, again, in an unbiased way, all the information that the physician can take on board, uh, again, for the benefit of the patients. I think it's a very noble cause that we serve here. It's across the, the industry, of course, but certainly within medical affairs, where you are uh, the knowledge of the science, but also the understanding of uh, the environment, understanding what uh, the patients and the physicians are dealing with on the daily, on the daily uh, routine and daily uh, activities, and be there as a conduit as well to help, again, making the, the best decisions, always with a sense of urgency. Really simple question now for you, <laughs> Eric. Uh, in your opinion, what is currently the biggest challenge for the pharma industry? Yes, yeah, a very, very and easy how question. how can this be overcome? <laughs> very easy question. Yeah, I can't find, think of one. <laughs> I can't think of one. I can think of a few. Um, well, it's nothing, nothing new here. When you look around and you look at the press, uh, you have more and more challenges into finding uh, the right solution for patients. Okay, we're talking about innovation. So innovation is at the heart of everything. It's about having the means to define that innovation to go quickly and develop it. So to bring again the solutions to who it matters. Uh, and in, in that concept and, and context is very much about a race, a race of, again, making sure the asset is quickly developed into the, the, in, into the, the most efficient way and uh, with the best um, uh, ethical uh, means. Uh, and, and in that context as well, you have like a lot of a race between companies as well. And so mergers and acquisitions are very important in this field because uh, you you want very much to bring new assets or em embed assets into your company. And so the price tag is actually in increasing, increasing. The competition is fierce. And when you think about uh, the very large uh, pharmaceutical corporations, they have probably deeper pockets than smaller ones. So it's about identifying the true value of, a, of an idea, possibly maybe finding it at the earliest stage, so making sure you do the, the right due diligence to identify when you want to acquire an asset, making sure, or a drug, making sure that you have like, uh, you make the best decision when you want to, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, pay a company for for the uh, the product. And then it's a matter of, um, yeah, going, going very quickly. So it's about having means to develop yourself or acquire a product and then having the means to make it like uh, uh, available to the patients uh, as soon as you can. That's one, one answer. The other answer is, is very much about uh, the, uh, the challenge that you have. And I'm, I'm probably for the, the listeners, probably uh, if they count how many times I use the word patient, they probably have, they must have about like 200 times or something like, like that by now. Uh, but it's about making sure that you understand the patient environment. So more and more companies uh, try to embed, uh, like what we have at Ipsen, uh, we have a, a, a patient affairs group or patient affairs uh, department where we concentrate our activities on patient centricity. And so our, our chief patient affairs officer is there very much to promote uh, and, and develop a sense of understanding what patients and you know are going through, making sure we we enroll their voice and also their needs into what we do. And so every time that you have a 
a protocol study that you want to investigate a drug uh, within a certain target population, you make sure that you Im embed all the criteria that matters for the patients. And this is not maybe a criteria that comes like spontaneously to you and me or to a physician or over in the industry, but really listening to what matters to the patients. And so working uh, with patients, for patients, is very much something, a motto that we have uh, in-house and is a, is, a, is a true element. So again, it's making sure that when you develop a drug, you keep in mind that you have that at the heart and making sure that you you um, you know you connect with all the right institutions where you can uh, you know have this uh, this share of voice embedded into what you do the last thing uh if if i can quote only three elements when you say challenge and uh, again there are many more but one major challenge is about bringing a sense of unity uni uniformity into what we uh, what we do in medical affairs in overall into uh, drug development so you, you may have heard the recent scandal about the opioids in, in the US and where you had um, so the, the lawmakers uh, identified that some companies were aware of addiction of uh, the opioids um, for the patients and they, uh, they didn't disclose the information to the, to the physicians. Um, you can only do this work if you are, again, ethical, compliant, following the uh, regulations. And to do that, you know, you may come like myself. I learned a lot uh, over the years, being exposed to different, you know, uh, uh, functions and and jobs within the industry. But I think for the new or newer people coming to the industry, what's very critical is to make sure they have the right level of training, having an understanding of what needs to be taken on board to again deliver the best for in your job for the company and for the patients. And and so it's essential that companies develop this as well. A good example as we're referring to the US, so there is a body actually in the US called the ACMA, so it's the Accreditation Council of Medical Affairs. And that body has a very nice neat program uh, of 20 modules that can help you and provide you a, a board certification, giving you all the ammunition and all the tools for you to be prepared as a, a medical affairs specialist. And and I think and I'm and I'm very much like supporting that you know across industry and not only in the U.S. but you know rest of the world and for all companies that we really embed uh, this kind of uh, of training, making sure that we we bring that quality and that uniformity into what we do. So again, a bit of a standard I think uh, and uh, accreditation that we should all have. And a little bit more about you now. I wonder, do you know where the passion comes from within you? That, that helps you be motivated to do the best that you can in your role? And are there particularly, are there perhaps one or two influential people that have helped bring that passion to the fore? Okay, so, yes, uh, I can think of a, a number of people uh, that, uh, that influenced me or, or gave me strength as well, not to lose the focus. I was talking about focus, which is also very important. Um, I don't want to be a cliche, but when you think about in, in, in life, you are exposed to, uh, to disease, illness, what is for yourself. You can see your neighbor, you can see a parent, you can see close friends. Um, again, I think when you work in the pharma industry, you have this element of luxury to remind you all the time that you can do something about, about that, okay? And whether it actually the condition or the illness is something that you are currently working on or not, but in principle, you know, finding, uh, again, 
solutions to help patients. So I think that's that's very much the drive. You know, every morning when I uh, wake up, okay, I may have my my difficult mornings. You know, as uh, outside it's grey, it's miserable. You don't want to go to work, of course. Uh, it's it's a Monday or it's a weekday, and you have to go to work. You know, it's actually not the way I think. It's not I have to go to work. It's actually something that drives me, mm-hmm. in terms of um, you know, I uh, I'm happy because whatever I do, whatever I've done in the past, the small piece of I've done contributes to the big jigsaw of again, hopefully bringing a drug in the hands of the patients. Mm-hmm. So that is in itself very much of a drive. We're talking about figures and. Um, uh, again, within within you know within my education or within my uh, my various roles, um, again I could cite a number of people and, uh, and, and I had very good uh, bosses as well that uh, I could uh, I could cite. I think the best or most recent example I could uh, give is actually my my former boss, uh, head of GMA and and CMO. Uh, so. Dr. Stergiopoulos has been um, has been quite extraordinary in seeing in me something that not all the other people could see, and he did that in a very clever way because he did put what you can think you can argue about trust. Okay, you give trust with something you acquire. Okay, we're not going to that debate now, <laughs> but he decided to put trust into me from day one. He didn't know me. You know, he was new in in, in at Ibsen. I had been a number of years at Ibsen, but he didn't know me. Okay, He decided once he had identified that I would be his chief of staff to trust me. And so that's one massive thing because it really gives you wings, you know, just to make sure that you do the best. But the one thing he did is was very much to stretch me as well, you know, beyond my normal remit of duties, okay, and challenging me into delivering more or differently things. Uh, I, was, I was not in my comfort zone. In uh, you know the, the chief of staff, uh, we haven't discussed about the role of chief of staff, which actually is a role where you are a one-man band. You do a lot of activities where you certainly serve the community in the function you work with, especially uh, being at the right hand of your of your boss. But you touch on so many things, you know, from an operation perspective, also from a strategic perspective, where you can advise and and provide some some guidance as well. And so. Uh, I had this trust, I had this, uh, this stretch into the things I have not done in the past. The job is very much entrepreneurial. You have to lead on topics that you've never done. Sometimes, you know, potentially more on the administration element. You think, well, that's not what I'm trained for. That's not what I've done in the past, but very uh, essential for, for the well-being of, uh, again, the community. And, uh, and um and that is something that really I, 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 did, I did appreciate, and I think I grew a lot over the last few, few years uh, through his, uh, his leadership, and I can, I can call him uh, my mentor because he, he really drives me. And then the other people I like to cite, because they are not from the industry, uh, again, possibly a, a cliche element, but these are actually my parents. Mm. So my parents have had uh, all these... Uh, these nightmares, I'm, uh, I suppose, when uh, I made changes of directions in my career, uh, my education, they were keen for me to go for a doctorate. And I said, no, I don't want this. I just want to go, you know, in the field. I want to work, um, all these things. So I think what I can, again, say very sincerely is like they 
always trusted me again, going back to the word of trust, mm-hmm. but they supported me. They challenged me, and I must say, sometimes they challenged me on topics that I don't think they were, they had the, the knowledge or the competence to challenge me on, but actually as, as good parents, they were, they were there, but they always uh, provide me the support I needed. And so since I, I never had a, a chance to tell them, so I can take the opportunity of the podcast to say, um, well, kudos and, and thank you to them for, uh, for their uh, unconditional support. Well, thank you, and what a lovely way to end. Thank you, Eric, for joining us. That was really interesting. I found it inspirational to hear your story and to hear how passionate you are about making a difference for patients. So thank you for sharing that. Well, that's all we've got time for this week, but we'll be back for another episode of the EMG podcast next week. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Dan, for having me, and thank you to uh, EMG for uh, you know approaching me and giving me a chance to tell a bit of my story. Thank you. Mm-hmm.